welcome to Dindino Ministries and thank you for uh, spending time with us at this moment as we look into the Word of God and to study. Before we will start our study at this time, I'd like to invite you to pray with me. Lord, we thank you that you have given us a precious moment and as well as also we thank you for those that has a sincere desire in learning the Word of God. Let it be, O God, that even those that will be viewing this uh, video and that we may learn together and that the things that we will learn from the Word will bring us even uh, closer to you and as well as also will bring us to the maturity in our spiritual life. In Christ's name we pray and give thanks. Amen. I remember a friend of mine who used to say that you know, when you study the scriptures, it's like, uh, you know, when you harvest a coconut. I think, you know, uh, I grew up when I was raised in a coconut farm. And so I can relate what he, what he was saying when he said that, you know, studying the scriptures is like uh, harvesting a coconut. In a coconut tree, when you climb up in a coconut tree, uh, when you see that they're already brown, you know, uh, and spotted fruits and that means that it is ready to be harvested so we would you know we would climb somebody would climb up there and uh, harvest the, the the ripe ones but then later two months later you would have to climb up again because there are more ripe ones uh, you don't uh, you don't cut all the fruits at, uh, at once when you go up in the first uh, in the first place because uh, many of them are not ripe yet, and he said it's it's like that when you when you come to the study the, uh, study the word of God, a lot of times there are things that we do not understand it right away. Not all of us really. Uh, sometimes um, you know we do not have the same kind of the same kind of insight and understanding as well as background in our study, and so. Uh, there are times that we can learn the Word of God as we read it you know, over and over. We read it over and over from Genesis all the way to the, the end of uh, the book of Revelation. And as we, even as we listen to someone, maybe he's just a simple, you know, a simple preacher or a simple teacher. But when you listen and when you pay attention, you will certainly be blessed and learn a lot of things that probably you overlook uh, during those years that you have studied the scriptures. Now at this time, I want to bring out one of the, one of the passages that has been in question and has been uh, a subject of debate. And uh, I have looked into the different uh, commentaries and also listened to people uh, asking questions about this passage. And uh, you know, you'll be surprised that uh, the, uh, they offer different options and interpretations to the passage, and and sometimes you you know you go out and uh, wondering whether which one really is the best. Now, in uh, you know one of the one of the most important approach in studying the scriptures is always get it back and see what the context uh, you know what the immediate context is really saying. Now uh, the the subject that I'd like to bring out this time is uh, the verses in Hebrews chapter 6. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses, uh, verses 4 to 6. Okay, there are only three verses uh, in this, uh, in this uh, context that I'd like to discuss. 
and we will study together at this time, where it says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him in an, uh, to an open shame. You know, the, the phrase that says there that it is impossible to bring them back into repentance. Uh, this, becomes, uh, this becomes a subject. Uh, either it has been used and sometimes misinterpreted and misused as a pretext uh, in many ways. Now, when you, when we, uh, once again, I say that, you know, one of the best approach in studying the scriptures, when you look at some problematic uh, verses, or maybe, you know, uh, what I'm saying is hard passages, sometimes you, you, you know, we, we sometimes wonder what is really, what is he really talking in this passage? The, the original intent of the author when he wrote this uh, passage, in a way, uh, the reason why I am bringing this one because um, there are two uh, extreme views uh, as far as salvation is concerned. When when we think of it uh, in theology, in the field of theology, there are two you know um, there are two men uh, what you call is there are two groups that are uh, really in majority of the theologians identify themselves. Either they say, I am a, a Calvinist, and somebody will say, I am an Armenian. You know, Armenian. And so, sometimes, even if you don't know Armenian, the Armenians, or if you don't know about the, the whole teaching of Calvin, but once you give an opinion, uh, a lot of times these people will give you, right away, you, you'll be branded. And so, uh, one thing for sure, when we look at this, is that what he's saying in this passage, uh, sometimes it implies that somebody could lose their salvation after they have believed and after they have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. And for this reason, it becomes, uh, it becomes uh, a subject of debate. Because those who believe that you, know, you could not lose your salvation once saved, is always saved, then you know it becomes a struggle because uh, we believe one of the I, I i think the the most important part as far as the doctrine of salvation is concerned is that we always we always uh, hold into those verses that are very clear as far as the teaching and doctrine is concerned uh, when it comes to salvation you know salvation is the bible speaks about salvation as a free gift from god Eternal life we receive as a gift from God. You and I could be in heaven, uh, we can be in heaven. It's because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, not because of your righteousness, nor my good works, nor my own righteousness. Now, you know, looking at, into this passage, as a, just a quick glance, and just a quick glance, it seems that, you know, you could, you could always, sometimes you could bring and jump into a conclusion that maybe that is what it says, that somebody, you know, if somebody had been saved and then he decided to leave the church and depart and become an apost apostate. <laughs> That's why, you know, the word apostate is really uh, taken, you know, you could, you could find in this, uh, in this part of the scriptures. Now, if that is really what it means, that when you have a brother who had been 
saved and had been coming to the church regularly. And then for some reason he left the church and denied his faith and in return or uh, or somewhat uh, probably he became an atheist or somebody that would really blaspheme, uh, blaspheme uh, the Christian faith and change his religion to another and you know, believing in another in another God. Now <clears throat> if this is what it means that you know this is what it means in this passage then we have some problems. There are some problems that we face. The first one is that then um, you know we have we are encountered with the problem that the uh, the uselessness of bringing somebody or bringing somebody or praying for somebody who has been a backslider or had left the church for some reason and then so because the bible says it's <laughs> it's impossible to bring him back so you know we always think of we always think of visiting somebody when he is uh, when he is, he becomes sour <laughs> toward the church and then probably being you know, being stumbled and offended by somebody either by the pastor or some of the members or church leaders and decided to leave the church and you know he had gone to the extreme now we, you know, when you look at that, if, if that is the case, that it is impossible to bring him back into repentance, then really, you don't need to go there and, you know, counsel him or try to bring him back. Well, you look at the scriptures, uh, what, you know, what the scripture says, you know, compare this with what Paul, uh, with, with what Paul says in, uh, in second, second Timothy, where it says, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. This is in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 25 to 26. Now this is a very clear indication that when somebody has been offended and left the church for some reason, um, it is our duty as servants of God that we would go and try to find him and bring him back, you know, counseling to restore him back into the faith. But if that is impossible, if the Bible says it's impossible, so you don't need, you don't need, and you don't have the responsibility. But this is contrary to what the Word of God is saying. Once again, I'd like, you know, I'd like to mention, going back to uh, the part of the introduction that I mentioned, that the best approach in any kind of interpretations of the toward the scripture is always uh, is always to look into uh, what the context is really saying that is the foremost the foremost method and approach I, I think that it's a normal approach in any kind of documents you know when you look at some kind of documents you have to consider what is the what is the context in itself and so the context you know you look at that uh, notice some of the terms that is uh, the terms that are used in this passage in these three verses, the terms such as partakers, tasted, enlightened. You know, most of these terms are uh, most of these terms are some kind of a temporary or partial. It's a partial thing. Like you have tasted, uh, that means you have tasted. It doesn't mean that you have eaten. If you have tasted, really eaten, uh, received. You have been enlightened. Christians are supposed to be Christians are supposed to be really become you know we became light. We become light because Christ dwells in us. 
who is the light and so in turn we become light uh, to the world now in you know when you look at in those uh, in those verses in those verses i like to you know remember i want you to be reminded that uh you know when the author whoever wrote this i i think that some of us probably believe it was paul and some you know believe it was apollos and some of them believe it was barnabas uh you know who knows but there is no <laughs> there is no literal verse in an ex, uh, an explicit passage that says that it was written by paul uh, but anyway when we think of this when we think of this once again uh, back in the in the in the early second century, the book was already called to the um, to the Hebrews. You know, it was already called to the Hebrews, and it was later uh, later on in the third century, in the early third century, or uh, some kind of a hundred years later, it became uh, it became a permanent. It became fixed. It was already fixed that it was called the title of the book was already called the book of the Hebrew to the Hebrews. And I think that, you know, when you think of that, uh, when you think of that with those early church fathers who had given the name uh, to this book, you know, then we knew, we knew that it was, they all knew that it was, this was written to the Hebrews. And, you know, that's interesting because then when we understand that it was written to the Hebrews, uh, then we know that the recipients, the recipients, the background of the recipients, uh, in considerations with what is the real intent of the the original intent of the writer now if it was to the hebrews then we know that in the early stage of in the early stage of christianity there were two types of uh, Christ, uh, christians uh, christian groups that was uh, that developed into the in, in during the history and these are you know the what you call this first Christians really were the first Christians were called they were uh, they were uh, the uh, Judeo Christians you know the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ as well as also the followers of the 12 apostles they were Christians they believe in Jesus Christ they believe in Jesus Christ the Messiah they believe that he was the king and you know they believe he was he was God and he is God and so uh, and later on, when uh, when Paul was converted and the Lord started another program, then we have the what we call the Hellenistic Christianity, or in other words, it was non uh, non Jewish. Uh, it's a Greek uh, from the word Helen. It's uh, that means the, they were only divided at the time, so divided into two groups: whether you are you are a Hellenist or you are a Judeo. And so, with this, with the coming of the Apostle Paul. There were still there were still Jewish before the destruction of the temple. There were still Jewish. Not only that, those that believe in Jesus, and they became Christians and followers of the twelve apostles who remain and use uh, the Ten Commandments or the Mosaic Law as the core belief, the central belief of the, the Jewish people. And they continue worshiping in the temple and bringing an offering, sacrifice, and this is uh, this is the this is the this is the background of the Christians, early Christians at the time before the destruction of the temple. And so, when you look at this, when you look at this, even Paul himself, you know, at the before before the execution of Paul, uh, 
in when he went he went back uh, he went back to Jerusalem as you look at in in Acts chapter 20 we find that uh, Paul had experienced some real uh, danger because he was uh, he was facing some people that wanting to kill him and these were the people these were the people that were Christians but continued and faithfully uh, followed the law of Moses and so these are what we call the, the Christians but the Jew Christians but there are also Christians uh, there are also what we call this they were also Jewish that did not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ so they were the one that were really persecuting the Jewish Christians and also I mean the Judeo Christians and as well as also the uh, the Hellenistic Christians the followers of Paul now at this time you know when when we think when the when the Bible says that these people have been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and not only that then partakers of the power of the Holy Ghost and then uh, you know the whole the, the power of the holy spirit of the, of the world to come and the goodness of the word of god that they were partakers of the holy uh, of the holy spirit and that they have enjoyed uh, the goodness of the word of god and also the powers of the world to come you know this is a very good and vivid description so i believe that the author when he wrote this one certainly it was you know <laughs> It was guided by the Holy Spirit because the descriptions of these people to whom he was referring to are completely, I mean, in detail. You know, what does, it, what does it mean when it says that they have tasted? That means that they have, they have seen the power. And this, I think what it means is that these were the people, these were the Jewish people, these were the Hebrews who lived during the first, uh, the first, uh, the, in the first century, during the time of Christ and also during the time of the twelve apostles, when they had a chance of seeing the Lord Jesus Christ himself as the light of the world. The Bible says that, you know, uh, that was the true light, that Jesus was the true light, which lighted every man that cometh into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came to his own, and his own received him not. He was the light. When Jesus came, he, sure, I mean, you know, they were enlightened. He saw the light himself. And not only that, but the Bible says that, you know, they have tasted the powers of the world to come. You know, the miracles that the Lord Jesus Christ and the 12 apostles from the starting point, you know, uh, not even considering the time from the time of Moses all the way down to the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ and to the 12 apostles. When, uh, when all this miracle, when so much miracles and wonders were being performed in the midst of these people to the Hebrew people, and so in the Bible says they have been enlightened and they have tasted of the ruler of the on of the uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, and also they have seen and they have uh, what it says that they have seen uh, the uh, of what you know of some things the powers of the world to come, and so these are the people these are the people that live in the first century. This, this, uh, these Jews, or these are the Hebrews, 
that were there during the time of Christ and also the 12 apostles, even to the time of the Pentecost. And so, you know, when we, when we look at this, this is a very, uh, this is what, uh, what God has done to the nation Israel. It's amazing, it's amazing, you know, when you think of what the Lord has done to them in trying to bring the people, in, in trying to bring the people into repentance. You know, I, I like to, you know, I like to think, uh, I like to compare this with what, you know, what the scripture says in, uh, in Isaiah. In Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 to 4, where it says, Now will I sing to my will beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My will beloved had a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fins it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choice, the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a wine press therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have I done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? You know what a sad, you know what a, that's a very sad, I mean, that's a very sad story. Analogy. He said, wherefore, when I look and it should bring forth grapes, brought it, brought it forth wild grapes. And he asked this question, he said, what could have I done? that I have not done. That's Jehovah. That's Jehovah. He said, what could have I done? And it's the same thing with the, the same thing in this passage in the book of Hebrews. To the Hebrews, once again to the Hebrews. The writer was speaking, he said, they had been enlightened. They have tasted the gift of the Holy Spirit. They have seen and they have tasted the, the power of the worlds to come, the kingdom, the coming kingdom, by the king himself in the midst of them. And yet they have not, they have not repented. Either they have tried and then later on, uh, and then later and continue, continue to harden their hearts. Continue to harden their hearts. And the Bible says, and they crucify to themselves the Son of God. You know, this is not only in, this, uh, in these passages, but I remember in Matthew, when the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, went into the mountain and he looked towards the city and looked at the people, you know, the people there. And he was moved with compassion. And Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often, he said, how often I bring you, I bring you back under my fold. Just like a hen bringing, their, bringing their, uh, the chickens under, his, uh, under her wings. And he said, but they repented not. They refused. And so this is this is addressed to this specific people uh, in, during the first century who had experienced this type of experience, who had been enlightened, 
and have tasted the power of the Holy Spirit in the day of Pentecost, and they have seen the powers of the world to come through the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this description, you know, this description fit perfectly for those people. But there is no way that you can apply this passage today. Why? Because you could, uh, there is no way that you can experience, you know, the powers, the powers that he is saying here, the powers of the world to come. You, uh, there is no, uh, you know, today, I do not think, uh, think that there is still the power, the miraculous power, like the, in the day of Pentecost, that they were healing the sick and also raising the dead. The same thing as the, in the time of uh, in the time of the apostles and in the time of in the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, they have seen. These are the people. The Bible says they have seen. I could say that the Lord Jesus Christ could use the same words uh, from uh, from Isaiah, the words of Jehovah, by saying, "What else could have I done? I have enlightened. I have allowed him to test, to taste the." Uh, what he called is to taste of the powers of the Holy Spirit. I have shown them of the powers of the world to come. It is impossible to bring them back into repentance. There is no more. There is no, no other, there is no, there is nothing can be done to these people to bring them to repentance. I said it's impossible. This points also to the fact that repentance it's a choice, it's your choice and my choice. Either we receive and believe the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's your choice and my choice to reject or to accept. Just like the nation Israel, they've been enlightened, the Hebrews, they've been enlightened, they have allowed to be uh, to, to taste of the powers of the Holy Spirit. They have, uh, uh, God has allowed to, uh, you know, has demonstrated the powers of the world to come. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have gathered you under my wings. What else could have I done? What else could have I done? This is, this passage can only be applied to those people as it is described in this passage in the first century who had experienced this, but not today. This cannot be applied today, or else you have to experience all those experiences that is mentioned in this passage. This is specifically mean, uh, specifically meant to those people in the first century, those that have sinned, live uh, during the time of Christ and the twelve uh, and the twelve apostles. They have seen the miracles and the powers. We have today. We have today. You and I. We have the salvation and we are secure in the hands of God. We are in the hands of God and we are secure forever. And no one can separate us from the love of God. That is the promise that God has given you for me. God bless you.